out of the sky My dreams went crashing When you said goodbye Who'd think that after all I've been to you That you and I would be through Hello and a welcome to the HP Lovecraft Book Club, uh, a podcast in which I go through everything I can get my hands on, uh, written by Lovecraft, and give you some of my thoughts about it, about uh, that writing. Um, so, in this episode, we'll actually be looking at the last uh, of the Lovecraft revisions collaborations that I have in this uh, collection. Uh, there might be some others out there. I know there's some nonfiction revisions out there, which I didn't look at, but... Whatever we've, we, I think we got a handle on Lovecraft through this series. Now, this final uh, collaboration—it's another true collaboration—in uh, that uh, we have different authors all contributing something to the story. Um, it's called *The Challenge from Beyond*. It was written in 1935, um, I believe. It was published. Well, actually, I'm not sure when it was published. Um, Anyways, it was put together by uh, Julia Schwartz, the editor of Fantasy Magazine, um, as a round-robin story. So the participants in this round-robin story were C.L. Moore, uh, A. Merritt, uh, H.P. Lovecraft, Robert E. Howard, and Frank Belknap Long. And so the idea was each person would write a section of the story, um, and then it would be passed on to the next writer who would develop it in their own way, and then the final writer would, would put a some closure to the story. Um, and this is a lot of fun. I don't think it's a very good story. I, I don't know if this is ever going to be a very effective style. I, I think two authors collaborating and working together like in uh, Through the Gates of the Silver Key can be quite good. This kind of round-robin idea, you know, it's fun. It's what you've probably maybe done this as kids, right? I remember in the early days of email, I would do this with, with friends uh, just kind of pass on jokes you know everyone wrote one paragraph of a, of a ridiculous story or whatever so it can be fun but i don't know if it's the best formula for making a good story um but this one is interesting nonetheless um now the longest of the sections is actually by hp lovecraft um so he kind of runs away with the story and i don't know like i actually felt reading this that you know when lovecraft took over and he made it a lovecraft story it got a bit of an, a little bit obnoxious, actually, because I, I think the first two parts by C.L. Moore and, and A. Merritt set up a really interesting kind of supernatural fiction idea. Um, and then Lovecraft says, no, I'm going to make this a Lovecraft story. So I'm going to talk about the deep history. I'm going to have a brain swap and all these things. And he kind of just makes it a story that he's written before where, you know, kind of like Shadow to Time or um, or. Uh, through the gates of the silver key in a way um you know we've seen this story many times uh by lovecraft where someone's head you know brain gets swapped with someone else and he comes to realize you know that he's in another body and and he's horrified by that right and when he kind of sees the co- the reality of the cosmos through this new through this experience it's it becomes a horrifying you know event in his life um and that's that's uh 
fine, I guess, but I do think he kind of hijacks the story a little bit and takes it in directions that maybe it wasn't intended to go in by the original authors. But of course, once with these round robins, you're not obliged, I guess, to follow the plan of the first one. Although I do think her here uh, from my editor who uh, put this together that there was some drama with this because C.L. Moore wrote her first part and then I think Frank Belknap long wrote it and he kind of did go uh, in a different way and A. Merritt refused to kind of participate so they swapped it so he did part two uh, and then Long did the final section um, but the greatest part in this story is and because after hijack or after Lovecraft sort of hijacks this story and makes it a Lovecraft novel um, Howard who at this time has been in a pretty vigorous debate with Lovecraft over the nature of civilization um, uh, physical activity, war, violence, and things like that. Um, I'm going to be talking about that quite a lot in upcoming episodes. The final nine episodes of the series will explore the Robert E. Howard Lovecraft letters, looking at both sides of that uh, conversation uh, over the final years of both of their their lives. Um, Howard died first, of course, but Lovecraft died like less than a year later, I think. But anyways, we're going to look at this debate, and you kind of see this debate being played out in the story, uh, which is rather fun, because when Howard takes up after Lovecraft, he's like, okay, if we're going to do the brain swap, I'm just going to make it now a Robert E. Howard story. I'm going to kind of make it a Conan story. Uh, I'm going to focus on violence and uh, the strength of will and this guy using his newfound strength from his body swap to just conquer and, and be a you know, like a warlord or something. So he kind of makes it a... Um, uh, a Robert E. Howard story, which is wild and a lot of fun. So anyways, The Challenge from Beyond. So part one of this is by C.L. Moore, a uh, great science fiction fantasy writer. She wrote, uh, um, what's that story named? The Black God's Kiss, the Jorel of Jory stories, which I looked at earlier in this podcast with the, um, the Library of America production of women science fiction writers um when i i looked at that probably a year ago or so and maybe even more than a year ago anyways black god kiss was in that um collection and uh it's great it's a great story a drill jory is a is a wonderful series of of, of short tales really wild stuff uh and she wrote some other really famous uh um, stories over the years um Anyways, uh, so we got this guy, George Campbell, our, our, I guess our main character. He's out in the Canadian woods on vacation. Um, he's an academic, a, scholar, a geologist is his career. And he wants, he's so happy to get out. So he's just on vacation and he's happy to get away from the city. Um, quote, luxuriously as his mind sank backward into oblivion, he assured himself once more that three long months of freedom lay before him. Freedom from cities and monotony, freedom from pedagogy and the university and students with no rudiment of interest in the geology he earned his daily bread by dining into their obdurate ears. Um, but then his uh, nice little vacation is broken up by a meteorite, meteor, I forget which one. Uh, anyways, it's a, uh, uh, I guess it's meteorite, right? So the meteorite lands near him. So it's kind of like color out of space in this sense. Of course, um, not a not an uncommon thing to show up in a science fiction story. This is kind of a science fiction story. Um, this, this rock falls and he finds it and he looks at it and he's a geologist, so he's curious about it. And it's kind of 
made of weird non-earthly material but inside there's a crystal cool but the most curious thing of all was the shape he could make out dimly in the heart of the crystal for embedded in its center lay a little disc of a pale and nameless substance with characters and in size deep in its quartz enclosed surface wedge-shaped characters faintly reminiscent of cuneiform writing so he sees inside this meteorite a crystal quartz like crystal and inside of there is like a little thing with writing so it looks kind of uh of some Sumerian. This is what's going to allow Lovecraft to kind of run with uh, the deep history angle of it. So he just becomes more and more interested in this and studies it and becomes more uh, caught up in the crystal. He starts to doubt what it could be. He starts to ask questions of it like a good scientist, but he just gets more and more sucked into it. He can't sleep. He gets more and more obsessed with it. So that's the C.L. Moore contribution. Uh, a really good setup, I think. Um, then we have the A. Merritt. I don't know much about his his writing. Apparently he wrote a lot of like lost civilization adventure sort of stories. Um, assistant editor at Hertz American Weekly. Um, but anyways. Now what A. Merritt does is he sort of just um, continues... Um, his obsession, we just see Campbell continue to be obsessed with this crystal, this meteor, meteor um, and he gets kind of more drawn in. He gets more stirred by it. So it's, it's actually more being pulled in by this, not just curiosity. And also the cube seems to be growing, it's changing shapes in his hand. Um, and the w weird thing is like there's this light that seems to fade and get more bright depending on when he looks at it. Quote, he sat watching the luminescence glow and fade, glow and fade, but steadily become dimmer. It came to him that the two elements were necessary to produce the phenomenon. The electric ray itself and his own fixed attention. His mind must travel along the ray, fix itself upon the heart's cubed heart. If its beat were to wax until what? Um, and he realizes that this is uh, some alien life and it's affecting some sort of control on him. Uh, and eventually he gets sort of sucked in mentally into the cube. Um, the section ends, there was no tent, there was only a vast curtain of sparkling mist behind which shone the globe. He felt himself drawn through the mist, sucked through it as if by a mighty wind straight for the globe. So he kind of gets mentally sucked into the globe. And this is when Lovecraft picks up on the tale. And so both uh, like C.L. Moore and A. Merritt together wrote three pages. Uh, Lovecraft writes six pages just himself. So he really takes over the story uh, with a very, very long section. Now he is, he doesn't write like the longest stories. He's not a, like, he doesn't write the big thick books, um, but he can sometimes go on a bit uh, when he's describing stuff. And that's what he does here. So he gets engulfed by this. Campbell gets engulfed by the by this. He begins, as the mist-blurred lights of the sapphire suns grew more and more intense, the outlines of the globe ahead wavered and dissolved into churning chaos. Its pallor and its motion and its music all blended themselves with the endless mists, bleaching it to a pale steel color and setting up undulantly in motion. And the sapphire suns too melted imperceptibly into the grain infinity of shapeless pulsation. So, you know, you're kind of right into a Lovecraft story here uh, where you got these undescribable uh, massive cosmos and swirling uh, motion and undescribable, unknowable uh, experiences. 
Um, he starts to lose time uh, as well. So you kind of got, uh, you're really reminded of, I think, Shadow out of time in this story. But he starts to uh, lose his mind into this. And now, uh, instead of just having it be, he's kind of mind swapped, Lovecraft needs to describe the backstory, the, the deep history, right? And this is what, he, he, he sort of knows it. It's very contrived that he, this random university geologist, would know all this about this crystal. Quote, little by little it comes to him. Once, long ago, in connection with his geological life work, he had read something like, he had read of something like the cube. It had to do with the debatable and disquieting clay fragments called the Eltdown Shards, dug up from pre-carboniferous -car strata in the southern England 30 years before. Their shape and markings were so queer that a few scholars hinted at artificiality and made wild conjectures about them and their origin. Then came clearly from a time when they came clearly from a time when no human being could exist on the globe, but their contours and figurines were damnably puzzling. This was how they got their names. So this allows him to like detail Campbell or to know about some of the long, deep, long history that's associated with this this crystal. And that's just a little uh, convenient. He just happened to have read the right books, something we've seen, of course, many, many times in Lovecraft's writing. So he describes some of this deep history, and eventually this becomes just a technology, kind of like what the Ithians used to travel throughout space and time. It becomes a cube of exploration. Um, well, when done with exploration, the adventure would use the cube and its disk in accomplishing his return, and sometimes the captured mind would be restored safely to its own remote world. Not always, however, was the dominant race so kind. Sometimes when a potentially important race capable of space travel was found, the worm-like folk would employ the cube to capture and annihilate mines by the thousands and would extricate the race for diplomatic reasons, using the exploring mind as agents of destruction. So basically, these are very much like Yithians, uh, but they have these monstrous bodies, I guess like the, the Yithians too, um, and they can just use this to travel around the universe. Um, so, and he just goes on a long time describing this thing, uh, that uh, this device that allows him to do that. So at the end of this section by Lovecraft, this long section, it's revealed that he has been body swapped. He's been a victim of this, of this kind of uh, explorer. And he's living with these creatures. Uh, they're described uh, towards the end of Lovecraft's section as this. Um, For this was nothing human, Nothing of earth, nothing even of man's myths and dreams. It was a gigantic pale gray worm or centipede as large around as a man and twice as long with a disc-like, apparently eyeless, silica-fringed head bearing its purple central orifice. It glided on its rear pair of legs with its four-part raised vertically. The legs, or the least two pair of them, served as arms. Along its spinal ridge was a curious purple comb and a fan-shaped tail of some gray membrane ending ended its grotesque bulk. There was a ring of red flexible spikes around its neck, and from the twisting of these came clicking, twanging sounds in measured, deliberate rhythms. End quote. Now, had, had Lovecraft wrote this just as his own story, right, it would just be a rehash, I think, of Shadow at a Time, just using the device of, a, of this crystal. Um, but I get the, really feel, the feeling here, he's sort of hijacking the story a little bit and making it, more than it had to be, right? Really making it a Lovecraft story rather than a true cooperative story. And maybe I'm too hard on him in this regard, but um, 
it does sort of derail the story a little bit because it's much more mysterious as it was set up in the first two sections. And Lovecraft just proceeds to explain everything uh, that's going on uh, pretty pretty well. Then this brings us to Robert E. Howard's section, um, which we're getting really towards the end of the story. The ball, I think almost half of the whole story is just the Lovecraft contribution. Um, that's just giving you an idea of how kind of, how it sort of goes on. But then we get to the Robert E. Howard contribution, and this is really fun. This is like the highlight of the story for me, uh, where basically once he realizes his mind is trapped in this body of this uh, worm thing, he says, well, why can't I just dominate this world, right? It's really hilarious. He starts to enjoy the change. So we have like a, instead of being fearful of it, Howard turns on his head and has the character embrace it and really find great pleasure in being this creature who can now be a, a conqueror, a warrior, live cathartically in a way he couldn't live on Earth. Um, quote, What was his former body but a cloak, eventually to be cast off at death anyways? He had no sentimental illusions about the life which he had been from the life from which he had been exiled. What did it ever give him save toil, poverty, continual frustration, and repression? If this life before him offered no more, at least it offered no less. Intuition told him it offered more, much more. With the honesty possible only when life is stripped to its naked fundamentals, he realized that he remembered with pleasure only the physical delights of his former life. But he had long ago exhausted all the physical possibilities contained in that earthly body. Earth had held no new thrills. But in the possession of this new alien body, it promised strange, exotic joys. And then, so George Campbell basically realizes that he can be a, a warrior and a conqueror. And that's the way Lovecraft takes the story. And it's really wonderful. It's a lot of fun here. Uh, again, so now, after Lovecraft, I think, sort of hijacked the story, Robert E. Howard sort of hijacks the story and makes it a Robert E. Howard story, right? With someone... Like basically, it's, it's like him, right? He love uh, Howard is living vicariously through these characters he creates, right? Wanting to be a warrior, wanting to be a boxer, wanting to be a you know a guy like Conan or whatever, uh, going on adventures instead of living in in East Texas. And it's wonderful. And his section ends with him kind of achieving some of this. Quote: On his centipede legs, Campbell clambered and tiered the tiered altar. Heedless of its sudden quiverings, heedless of the change that was taking place in the floating sphere, heedless of the smoke that was now billowing out in the blue clouds. He was drunk with the feel of power. He feared the superstitious of Yakup no more than he feared those of Earth. With this globe in his hands, he would be king of Yakup. The worm men would dare, would dare deny him nothing. When he had held his hand, God as hostage, he reached his hand for the ball, no longer ivory hued, but red as blood. So he ends victorious. Then we get the Frank Belknap Long conclusion of the story, which is only two, less than two pages. And basically, now we get the entity that's in George Campbell's body's point of view. And he's kind of pathetic. Like, he's just trying to survive in, the, in, the, in this dark woods. Um, he has to, like, eat a fox. It's pretty gruesome stuff here, actually. There was a harsh animal cry in the underbrush near the gleaming lake on Earth, where the mind of the worm creature dwelt in a body swayed by instinct. Human teeth sank into a soft animal fur, tore out the black animal flesh. A little silver fox sank its fangs in frantic retaliation into a furry human risk and thrashed around in terror as its blood spurted. 
Slowly, the body of George Campbell rose, its mouth splashed with fresh blood, with upper limbs swaying oddly, it moved towards the waters of the lake. Um, and then there, at the, at the end of the story, there's some kind of communication between the, the god that, that the Howard section emphasized, the, this Yakub, Yakub god, and this entity in the George uh, Campbell body. And it basically says to him, like, you can't exist in the mind, in the body of a human. Quote, only man minds instinctively conditioned through the course of 10,000 generations can keep the human instincts in thrall. Your body will destroy itself on earth, seeking the blood of its animal kin. Um, and there's a little bit more. But basically, it's a warning that it, you, you're going to be lost in this, this human body. And then the final sentence is just a repeat of the, the conquest of George Campbell. Um ruling this empire of worms um so kind of an interesting story it's it's fun to see each of these writers kind of put their own take on the story uh i think certainly the lovecraft and howard ones are the most memorable sections because they do seem to send the story in radically new directions long is pretty faithful to the themes set up by the previous two authors and just put some nice closure to it um, but all in all, this story, I think is fun. I, I didn't think it would be that good. And I heard not good things about it. Um, but I think this, this tale is, is just an enjoyable little romp. Um, I do think Lovecraft though dominates a little bit too much in the middle part of the story. And it kind of, he gets too much into other things that aren't necessary. Um, it could have been a little bit shorter. Um, but the, the, the George Campbell character what, what Howard does with him, making him a, an ambitious uh, conqueror uh, in that other world is, is, is a nice turn in the story. But I guess overall, not the most important thing to, to read, but, uh, but it's there for you if, you if you want. So anyways, that's, I guess, my thoughts on the challenge uh, from Challenge from Beyond. Um, the final of the Lovecraft collaborations and revisions I'm going to talk about. So what's next? As I've said many times before, I'm going to close up this series with uh, some more letters and specifically the Robert E. Howard, HP uh, Lovecraft letters. Um, I'm going to do it over nine episodes. So I'm going to, these letters are long. Um, so there might be, I'm going to do it about 100 pages at a time, like I, my mainline podcast is. So it's going to be about nine episodes. So I'm going to break it up. But some of those times, like 100 pages, you might be talking about th three or four long letters, right? Some of these letters are really long. They're, they're mostly unabridged. I think some little parts have been cut out, but they're not like the selected letters where you get uh, radically truncated segments of letters, right? Where the editor just picked out what they wanted. Here you get pretty much the full letter, and sometimes it's 40 pages or 30, 40 pages. So what I've, I've, I've been emphasizing basically four th themes uh, as I've been reading them, and I've been using highlighter of different colors to emphasize four basic themes. One of these is, is uh, like world civilizations and world history. That's kind of how the, their discussion begins. Um, so that's that's one theme I'm going to come back to a lot when I talk about it, is their views and their discussions about civilization as a whole in a, in a world context. Second theme would be um, 
anything dealing with like American civilization, American history, American current events, uh, the frontier. There's a lot about the frontier because a lot of the conversation is about how we're articulating a more frontier view of the American experience. So I'll focus on the frontier on, on that aspect uh, as well. Uh, so we got kind of two different looks at civilization, one more global, one more, uh, I want to say, you know, one more American focused, right? Then we have their commentary on weird fiction. I'm not going to say as much about this because a lot of this is rehashed from stuff from the, the selected letters. And a lot of it is just, oh, you should read this story or I'm working on this story. I'll, I'll mention that stuff when it comes up, but that's not going to be the focus of my, my main concern. And I guess the fourth section is, or the fourth theme I'm going to focus on, because I, I do think these letters kind of gravitate to those like four big concepts. Civilization, America, and this, you know, weird fiction as a whole. Because they are professionals in the field, so they talk a lot about that. But then the final one would be like things like folklore or mythology or philosophy. So I kind of grouped those together. They could be separated, I suppose, and I, and I will kind of, look at those a little bit separately when they're talking about big philosophical issues rather than specific folklore. And sometimes this overlaps, like they might be having a conversation about the American uh, West and then Howard will talk about like black folklore, right? So it's, it's so they kind of combine all usually or same thing with Europe, Lovecraft going beyond about European history and then talk about the witches. But I do want to emphasize that that's this whole separate conversation they're having is one on on folklore and and you know beliefs and i tied to that there like their own like his own philosophical perspectives both of their philosophical perspectives now underneath all this we're gonna get a lot of conversations about things like violence uh geopolitics to a certain degree certainly uh, a lot on the nature of civilization uh and as the the collection is called a means to freedom which i think does sum up their conversation. What is the best route to freedom? You know, is it the radical freedom proposed by Robert E. Howard, emphasizing the physicality, emotion, will, and things like that? Or is it the Lovecraftian view that we need to be based in strong civilizations? Um, and I actually think the story we just looked at, The Challenge from Beyond, emphasizes, sees the nature of this conflict between the two, right? For Lovecraft, it's a horrifying thing to be dislodged from your civilization and thrust into another one, right? You're out of place. You're out of time. You're, you don't know who you are anymore. And that's a terrible, horrific thing. And then Howard looks at the same thing and says, ah, finally I'm free, right? It's like the people who watch a show like The Walking Dead and, and some look and say, oh, this is horrible. I hope this never happens. Look at you know, all the bad things happen to these characters um, and how miserable they are to lose their lives and then other people look at it and say well geez i could finally be free if the zombies just came you know i know people who think that way um they're not necessarily anti-civilization folks they're just fine society as it is so degrading and humiliating and boring and dull and you know, etc whatever adjective you want to use that only they can only be three th free if it breaks down and that's exactly what happens to our character in the challenge from beyond right so this is the conversation we're going to be talking about for the next nine episodes or so as I wrap up this series. Um, the episodes, I'm not sure if they'll be longer than my typical ones or not. 
Um, they probably will be because I think I, I do want to look at these letters in a little more systematic way than I did the selected letters where I just sort of gave the bullet points. Here I actually do want to dig a little bit deeper into the ideas, kind of look into the footnotes to a certain degree, look into the ideas behind the ideas they're presenting. Um, so those episodes may be longer. And if I have to break them up, we'll, we'll do that. But I think I can cover about 100 pages in of these letters in a reasonable amount of time. Because uh, um, now we're going to have to like f follow different conversations as they go back and forth. Right. So letters, they might be actually three different conversations that is going back on. Right. That the two are going back and forth on. Uh, some letters will be dominated by one of these conversations, but those four different themes I talked about, they're always going back and forth on. So there's a different threads running through through the letters, which makes them like hard to, to, to grapple with. That's why I went the highlighter route, because I found that was the easiest way to keep track of the different thematics uh, as they as they came up, the different colors, right? It's not what I normally do, but it's it, was, it sort of became necessary here. Um, anyways, I'm, that's what I'm going to attempt to do in in future episodes. Um, so thank you for bearing with me through this very, very long series on the writings of H.P. Lovecraft. We're coming to the end, um, and there's more I could have done, obviously, right? And there are people out there who have been saying, do more. Uh, I'm not going to. I'm wrapping this up. So... Um, move on to other things eventually and start writing it down because part of the reason I'm doing this is I want to, you know, begin to, to write down, especially, I mean, the biggest holdup for me in putting together a book about race and Lovecraft and labor and class issues and things like that is the Howard letters. They've been hard to deal with. So I'm hoping this reading through them this way will, will help me put them all together in my head. Um, but anyways, that's it. That's my introduction to the final uh, series within this series. So anyways, if you have any thoughts about that, uh, let me know. If you have any thoughts about Challenge from Beyond, send me an email at 100pagescast at gmail.com. And I'll see you next time. Thanks for listening. Now we're strangers. Gee, it breaks my heart to see you. Day after day, turning away as much as to say you've.